Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Ephesians chapter number 6, I want to read a few verses of scripture. Uh, If this will comfort anybody's heart, I will conclude the book of Ephesians this evening. Ephesians chapter number 6, verse number 10, the Bible says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And again, I'm, I'm not going to try to go into a big in-depth uh, mini-series right here on the pieces of the armor, but we'll hit the tops of the trees, okay? Amen. Tonight, my subject matter is armed to stand. Armed to stand. Let's pray together. Jesus, God, I come to you. Lord, you know the condition, Lord, of people, their hearts, their minds, and their souls. I pray, O oh Lord, in this assembly. You know, Lord Jesus, God, the state and the situation. I pray, O oh Lord, we just depend upon you. God, your word. Paul told Timothy to preach the word. God, so, Lord, I stand at this sacred desk again with the responsibility of preaching and teaching God your word. God, and I'll follow through, Lord Jesus, with that tonight. God, touch hearts and minds, God, through and by your word. We can do nothing, Lord, independent of it. God, we need it. Lord, it's essential, Lord, for our lives. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated this evening. Paul's rounding a corner here to bring this epistle to a close. In verse number 10, he gives us some of our final instructions. He addresses us as finally he's coming to uh, the culmination of all things. So I just concur with him tonight. Maybe some could even say that a little bit more sarcastic than I. Finally, but here we are, finally, brethren. And he's given us some instructions in regard to the church as we spoke last week, and in regard to individual relationships. He informs us about a few different things. Namely, number one, that our strength results from being in the Lord. Number two, we are responsible for fully arming ourselves. And number three, our primary action is defense rather than offense. In the past few lessons, we have seen areas where Uh, We should imitate Christ. I've spoken at different times the even as phraseology that indicates that we should be imitators or followers of Christ or be like him in our walk of love as our walk of children of light. How we are to be like the Lord. How our love is to be like the Lord. Uh, And so the reality of the whole situation is this. As Paul comes to the end is that whenever you, you, you imitate the Lord more Whenever you act like him more, you will automatically subject yourself to struggles like he was subjected to. And many times that are, those are spiritual struggles, supernatural struggles. Jesus began his ministry in the wilderness in the 40-day fasting that he had, or we could even call it the 40-day struggle. Because those 40 days that he was in the wilderness, he was tested of the enemy in the wilderness. And would finish then, he started his public ministry with struggle, and he finishes his ministry 
uh, with struggle. Upon the time that he entered into the Garden of Gethsemane all the way through Calvary, it was a struggle. And so from the beginning even to the end and moments we can see in between those two positions, there are struggles that have met our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so uh, don't think yourself too, 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 you know, the servant is no greater than his master. The servant is no greater than his master. And so if he experienced a struggle during his life, lived here on earth, then guarantee it, mark it on the calendar, underscore it, capitalize it. We're going to experience our own uh, struggles as well. And remember now, whenever the devil left him alone at the wilderness and left him, the closure of the scripture of Luke 4.13 plainly says that he departed from Jesus or the devil departed from Jesus for a season. And we all know seasons don't last forever. They come and they go. And although he departed for a season, he'd come back for another season. And we have all experienced that. Maybe more time of him coming than him departing. Seems like the departure seasons are less in time than his arrival seasons. And yet that is the case here of Jesus. He would, he would just be departed from the Lord just for a season. I think it's important today because sometimes uh, uh, modern day society has minimized the idea that we have a real enemy. There are a lot of people, exactly right, there are a lot of people today that just kind of shrug off the idea of there really being something as a devil or Satan, that there's really spiritual warfare. I'm here to tell you tonight there is spiritual warfare. Some don't believe that there's a devil. And he, let me tell you tonight, he does employ real spirits. He employs real demons, imps, whatever you wish to call them. Our adversary does employ real spirits. The Bible says in Revelations 12 and verse number 9, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Just a little earlier in this scripture setting, the Bible speaking of this dragon says that his tail drew, if you will, a third part of the stars of the heaven, literally a third part of the angels of heaven. And there is something, it's, it's, it's good news and it's bad news, which you want first. <laughs> that as we draw near to the end of the world, the intensity of the struggle is going to increase. That's the bad news. But the good news is that indicates that we're closer to the end. Amen. Revelations 12, 12, the Bible says, Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short Time. A short time. If I could be just a reassurance to anybody tonight, it would be this. Don't be asking yourself, what is, the, what is going on? What am I doing wrong in my life? I know there's times that that equates with that. But overall, some of the things we're going to experience in these last days isn't going to be because something's going wrong or you're doing something wrong. It's going to be because we're getting close to the end. And he's aware that that end is very close. So he's doing his dastardly deeds as quickly, as many, as intensified as possible. Because just as much as we want to see as many people saved that can be saved, he wants to see as many people lost that can be lost. Amen. 
We have a real adversary. Paul calmly spoke as this God walk, this walk with God, this Christian walk, as a warfare. This walk as a warfare. In the closure of 2 Timothy, Paul had said, I have fought a good fight. At various times, even throughout the book of Timothy, he told Timothy to endure what? Hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Or he charged Timothy to war a good warfare. In Corinthians, Paul even spoke of himself. He said that he did not fight as one that just beateth the air. So he oftentimes spoke of this walk with God as a warfare. And tonight, I wish we all had the capability. I wish God could grant this to us just for a, a moment of time. If we could just see into the realm of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Because many of our earthly struggles would be mirrored in the realm of the Spirit with struggles between the devil and those he employs with the Lord and the many hosts of angels that he employs. I wish sometimes we could see the battle that's really happening in our life in different circumstances and situations. We see the earthly Sometimes we make our judgments just on the earthly. But there's something happening in the spiritual realm that our eye might not be, be able to see. But I guarantee you this, there's sometimes in your spirit, there's sometimes in prayer that you just hook into that a little bit and you understand there's more that's going on than what meets my natural eye. There's more taking place here than what's just meeting my natural eye. Most, I would even dare to say most, if not all, Actions that take place in the natural realm have a spiritual realm counterpart. Amen. We do live in a spiritual day, a spiritual world. The Bible speaks of Daniel waiting on answer to a prayer, but it seems like that answer is delayed. Or maybe even through his eyes, he thought maybe it would never be answered. The Bible says in Daniel 10, 13, but the prince, Paul said that we're, 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 what we're wrestling against are principalities. He said the prince of the kingdom of Persia. We're not talking about a natural, literal. We're talking about a spiritual aspect here. The prince of the kingdom of Persia, he said, withstood me. The angel that was going to come and talk to Daniel said there was another prince. He had a spiritual godly prince from God that was going to come to talk to Daniel, but there was an adverse prince of the kingdom of hell, of the kingdom of the devil, that withstood this godly angel. One in 20 days, 21 days. But lo, Michael, who is an archangel, according to Scripture in heaven, came, one of the chief princes, the Bible says, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. In other words, he said, I, I had a battle in my hands in the spiritual realm. There was something going on. Daniel might have thought it's a delayed answer. On the earthly, he might have interpreted it as it's never going to be answered. But what he could not see is in the spiritual realm, there was a battle raging. There's a battle going on between the spirits of good and the spirits of evil in so much that the spirit of good said, I had to call in the big dogs. <laughs> I had to get Michael the archangel. He came down and he helped me and I was able to be released. And I, when I came to Daniel, I told him, Daniel, he said, the moment you first spoke the words, he said, I started coming. He says, now I've come for your words. And then later he says, now I'm here to tell you the interpretation of all things. But what, what, what caused, according to Daniel, we just see it, man, that's delayed or it's not going to happen. You don't know what's taking place in the realm of the Spirit. 
We perceive things at a certain level here in the natural. We think we got it figured out. But in the realm of the Spirit, there's some things that our minds, amen, perhaps sometimes can't even fathom that are taking place with the powers that be in the heavenlies. Amen. And so Paul's telling us as a church, Paul's telling us in our personal relationships, we got to take the other world in mind. Amen. We got to consider what's happening in the other world because they do dynamically affect what happens in this world. And so Paul says with these things in mind, he tells us this and he gives us the admonition, the admonition, be strong in the Lord because we cannot successfully stand against the wiles of the devil or wrestle with all the entourage of the devil in our own strength. Simple. But true, we cannot do that in our own strength. Here's a rule of thumb for every individual tonight. A spiritual foe requires spiritual strength and spiritual weapons. You cannot defeat a spiritual foe by natural means. And so if I'm not wrestling against flesh and blood in this life and it's really a spiritual matter, then I got to in my life somehow connect in the spirit. 24-7. I got to connect in the spirit because it won't advantage me much to try to fight that by a natural beings. And so with my understanding, my life is a spiritual battle. I need to be spiritual in order to be successful in this spiritual battle. Amen. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 and 4, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Plainly stated, they're not carnal. If they're not carnal, what are they? Spiritual. But mighty, what? Through God. To the pulling down of strongholds. We walking in this flesh. Yeah, we're living this everyday life. We're going to work. We're coming to church. We're having our battles. We're having the, what we perceive as delayed answers. We have all that stuff. We're walking in this flesh. But we're not. the warfare that's taking place shouldn't be in the flesh. It's in the realm of the spirit. And so the weapons then that he's saying that we, we must employ, not natural, not carnal, but they, they're not carnal, he said. They must be spiritual, mighty through. It, it must be through God. It can't be Paul McGee. It can't be myself. And this is the reason why we, we and we'll say this and continue to do so because it has to be constantly brought to the forefront of our minds. That's the reason why we talk about devotion and Bible reading. That's the reason why we talk about prayer. What are those things? Those are weapons, spiritual weapons, whereby you can fight the spiritual battle. The only battle that's really taking place is the spiritual. I know it manifests itself naturally, but the source of it is spiritual. Amen. And so we need these tools in order to pull down those strongholds. And I believe sometimes, personally and as a pastor, some of our defeats result from fighting spiritual battles by carnal means. Carnal methods. 
the uproar caused by Paul in Acts chapter 19 when he was in Ephesus. Remember the uproar. Um, he kind of made a little bit of an uproar because of the people that bought their little idols of Diana. Remember this. We've talked about this more than one time over the past 14 parts. <laughs> All right. He, he causes a little bit of an uproar. And it caused an attack upon he and others that were with him by Demetrius, the silversmith, who honed and, and, and shaped and created these idols. Just borrowing a little bit from last week, Demet they were attacked by Demetrius, a silver, they were attacked by a person. But behind him was a power. Diana. Well, it's, it's just a pagan god. Yeah, but all these different false pagan gods are nothing more but pawns of Satan. Pawns of Satan. So they're being fought by a person, but behind the person is a power. Amen. It looked like a natural attack, but in reality, it was filtering from or flowing from a spiritual attack. I want us tonight to consider the advice of the king of Syria. And whenever I say consider the advice, he's giving this advice on a natural plane, but I wish tonight to uh, employ it in the spiritual plane. He, he, wanted, he wanted war to be waged on, he said, the king, more so than the soldiers. He said, we, we, whenever we go to warfare, we want to wage war more on the king than we do the soldiers because the reasoning behind it was this, the soldiers get their mandate from the king. So he wanted them to attack the source rather than the peripheral items or persons. And so this is what he spoke in 1 Kings 22 and verse 31. But the king of Syria commanded his 30 and 2 captains that had rule over his chariot saying, here's, here's the advice. He says, fight neither with small nor great, save only with the king of Israel. So when you go into battle, he says, let your focus, let, 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 let be what you really drive after is try to get to the king because the soldiers get their mandate. They get their order from the king. And if the king falls, those soldiers are going to be searching for direction. Uh-huh. In the realm of the spirit, if we could cause a spiritual application tonight let our focus not be on the small nor the great but let it be upon the perpetrator source of it all it needs to be your adversary the enemy the devil old sleuth they called him what hell all the other little uh, titles that we can associate with him and so the, the call is playing be strong in the Lord our strength comes from God and then he tells us put on the armor of God. Everybody say, I'm responsible. I'm responsible. We are responsible for suiting up. God's not putting it on us. No one else around you is putting it on you. Nobody, no leadership's putting it on you. The general didn't come out and dress all the soldiers. They were responsible for putting on their own armor. And in the Greek, that putting on renders this put on once and for all. Meaning don't put it on, take it off. Put it on, take it off. Take it off, put it on. No, put it on. Once and for all. 
Not so that they might fight. Not so that they might walk with God. But Paul told the church that they needed most was what? You put this on that ye may be able to stand. Now this is my made up word, but our standability, okay? <laughs> made up, we don't look for that in the dictionary. Our standability against the wiles of the devil is dependent upon our full, whole armor of God. Mm-hmm. Our ability to stand is not just regulated to our feet being shod the preparation of gospel peace, and that's where the se- that, that's where the secret code is. That's the secret ingredient. No, it's you taking the whole armor, every piece, every part, complete on you that grants then the success of being able to stand against the wiles of the enemy. In other words, we are not to leave an item out. We're not to leave a piece of the armor off. We got to be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And the wiles are this. Wiles are the cunning ways of the devil. The crafty arts of the devil. The stratagems of the devil. We need to be able to stand. The idea of stand is throughout uh, here, the latter portion of chapter number 6 in verse 11. He says, able to stand. Verse 13, able to withstand. Verse 13, done all to stand. Verse 14, stand. Therefore. I know a lot of times in our Christian walk, we're talking about walking, growing, running, fighting, all these things, but God is saying you, you, you need to concentrate Amen. On taking this armor for the ability of just standing. And so when we look at the articles of the armor, our primary action, so we've already looked at three things real quick. This is number three. Our primary action is defense. I've heard, you know, I've heard people in a moment of bliss and just high on the horse. Bless God, I'm going to find that old devil. I'm going to give him a black eye. Oh, yeah. I've heard you. I tell you what, I'm going to find him. I'm going to stomp on him. (laughs) Of the six actual articles used for warfare, only five of those are used for defense, and only one is actually, actually used to attack or to offend. If I think of that, and I'm thinking five of the six are used for defense, that's the majority compared to the one offense if I do a little math that tells me about 83% of our fight is in defense while maybe only 17% only 17% is actually in attack mode Uh uh-huh people sometimes have chased after devils chased after imps man I'm gonna fight him let me tell you what you want to underscore and capitalize on. Not on your fighting, but on your defending. There are going to be plenty of opportunities. You don't have to pick the fight. He's already got one going for you. I'm telling you, as much as he visits some of y'all's households, I wouldn't be looking for him. He'll come around directly anyway. So your concentration doesn't need to be on, man, I'm going to fight him. No, just learn how to defend where you're at amen the deter- for that matter the determination of a win isn't about how many times 
or how hard, per se, that person punches in the boxing ring. Sometimes it's decided on how well they block the opposing punches. Mm -hmm. A good defense goes a long way. Mm -hmm. Good defense goes a long way. When it goes to the articles, and we'll just touch on the tops of the trees, a girdle of truth, that our loins would be girded about with truth, a girdle of truth. That's vitally important. That's quite contrary to our adversary, first of all, because he's a liar, but a girdle of truth, that girdle or that belt of truth, the loins to be girded about with truth, held other parts of the armor together, the breastplate latched on there, the sword many times had a place that it attached to that belt of truth. And so what interests me right away with that is that sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, or the Word of truth, you cannot properly have the Word of truth unless you have a belt of practicing truth. So it holds a lot of other things together. It, it's tied real tight around the waist of a soldier. As a matter of fact, they say in that culture and day that a belt or a girdle, if you will, that was tied tight around the waist of the soldier indicated that a soldier was ready for combat just by seeing how tight his belt was around about him. And conversely, to slacken the belt equated with a soldier that was going off duty. They seen a soldier that had slack in his belt. They said, he must not be going to combat. He must be going now to repose. He must be going now to rest. Folks, this among other reasons tonight is why I worry when I see people or organizations that hold loosely the message of truth. Because what it indicates to me as the individuals, this, here's a person or here's a group on the verge of going off duty, failing to stand any longer breastplate of righteousness everybody say right living breastplate of righteousness that breastplate we understand the importance real quickly the, the, the area in which it would cover protecting our heart protecting a lot of the other major organs in our body and living in a society and church society for that matter they've tried to dilute the importance of right living I believe, Bishop, because they've not understood it. Right living is not something we do aside from God. But it's something we are enabled to do because of God. In Psalms 111 and 112, David, in just a few short verses, repeats the idea of the righteousness of God enduring forever. The righteousness of God, enduring forever. Because the breastplate of righteousness that we wear is not our own righteousness. Our own righteousness is nothing to speak of. The Bible has described it as filthy as rags. But our agenda then should be to adopt His righteousness, seek after His righteousness. And in doing so, His righteousness, David says in several times in 111 and 112, it endureth forever. It's so awesome that it does not matter how many blows it has sustained, it still serves well and endures well. It's durable. It can handle a few blows, if you will. But we got to seek our agenda to get the righteousness of God upon us. Matthew 6, 
uh, 33, I don't know what that was, amen, says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. One person, I believe, stated it real well. Right living is wound proof. Right living is wound proof. Shoes of peace. Our feet to be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Different people have said, well, this means then to wherever you go and as you walk through life, you'll be always ready to spread the gospel, so on and so forth. But you've got to understand this in the context in which the scripture is being spoken. We're talking about people that's standing. So in the context of this setting, a Christian soldier that's standing firm with his feet shod in the preparation of the gospel of peace. I convey this evening that that is the peace that that soldier has made with God. It brings a great support for their stance and their confidence that they have knowing they've made things right with God. They're at peace. Because where their feet would be shod, if you remember, whenever they would shod their feet in those days, sometimes they would wrap something around their foot or sandal, and on the underneath side of that were those nails and those protrusions that allowed those feet almost like cleats to dig in the soil. And whenever you've made things right with God in your life, and you're at peace, and you go to war against your adversary, it gives you a greater ability to stand knowing you've already made things right with the Savior. Tout whatever you want to tout into me about the accusing part of my past you want to talk about, but I've already made, I'm at peace. I've, I'm, this gospel peace, that death, burial, and resur resurrection that's already been transformed in my life, I've got shoes that are shod with peace in it. They put me a little firmer in the soil. If that hadn't been taking place in my life, you might be able to push me around a little bit, but I already know what's happened between me and God. I already know about the relationship. My feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The Bible says in James 4 and verse 4, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. So, friendship of the world puts a person as an enemy or at enmity with God. That's not a peaceable position. Being a friend of the world is not a peaceable position with God. However, when our friendship status changes, amen, we have peace now with God. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And when you know that you know, that you are God's and he is yours. There's a stability that comes with that knowledge. There's a stability that comes with that confidence. When you are fully persuaded who you are in him, you will be less persuaded, amen, otherwise. When you're persuaded who you are in God, you'll be less persuaded by voices of other people and your adversary, which the voices of other people are probably being worked on by a spiritual world. Uh-huh. Not wrestling against flesh and blood. They're just ambassadors of another land. Uh-huh. Yes. And so whenever they come speaking that, if you're fully persuaded, you have peace with God, 
what, what does their voice have to say about the matter? When God has already said, okay, granted, good, satisfied, well done. Mm-mm. Amen. Another piece of the armor is the shield of faith. Not trying to spend a whole lot. We talked a lot about a shield of faith probably in the last year. The shield of faith, normally approximately the height of a man. Sometimes they varied from man to man according to his height, wide enough for him to hide behind. That first line of defense for all the other articles or components of the armor. And it was commonly towed to warriors of that culture and of that day by their mothers that whenever they left for battle, they would tell their sons in their ears, so you come home bearing this shield or you come home with this shield bearing you. It's the shield of faith. In other words, don't come home without the shield. You either bear it back home or it's bearing you back home because you died on the battlefield. But either way, it's coming back home. The message is clear. If you will uphold the faith now, there'll come a day that the faith will going to uphold you. Amen. Shields mostly made of wood, covered with, covered with a skin or a leathern type of covering that they anointed before they went out to battle with oil, before they went to battle, anointing those shields so that they might quench all the fiery darts of the enemy, the Bible says. And so with that in mind, I tell you this, that only anointed shields quench the fiery darts of the enemy. Only anointed shields. And it amazes me how sometimes people try to accomplish what they try to accomplish without the anointing, but they can only really do through and by the anointing. The anointing, Scripture says in Isaiah, destroys yokes. And so we need an anointed faith in order to quench the fiery darts of the adversary. Those fiery darts, they would take those arrows, they'd dip the tip of it in pitch, and they would set it on fire, and they'd let it go toward that adversary. And whenever you're just going to have a skin that was not anointed and that shield mostly made of wood, if it wasn't anointed, whenever it hit, guess what? You got a flaming shield. <laughs> yes, sir. Might, might going to be a shield for long and probably gets on fire and gets too close to your hand, you're going to throw it down. Amen. But it's only by virtue of the anointing that was applied to the shield that whenever that would hit, that oil would snuff out. Snuff out the fire. So only anointed shields. Everybody say anointed shields. Anointed shields quench fiery darts. Amen. Helmet of salvation, another part of the, I almost said furniture, but another part of the, the armor, rather, it's the helmet of salvation. Helmet of salvation, vitally, vitally important. A helmet of salvation protects, protects our head from the enemy's attacks. I tell you what, if there's ever a day that the helmet of salvation needs to be worn, it needs to be worn today. Because the enemy is very persistent in attacking your head, your thoughts, your mind. Your head's a very important part of your body. It contains your brain. Your brain tells, what, tells the rest of your body what to do, how it feels, what it, your brain does all that it controls everything your head determines how you think about life in general and how you think large part determines how you feel and how you act the helmet of salvation that roman soldier who lost his helmet you better believe he's worried because even if he doesn't receive a fatal blow he could receive a blow to his head that would severely wound him in so much that it would disorient him amen So you might not get a blow that's going to kill you, but you could get one that disorients you and causes you to lose your way. So we need the helmet of salvation, amen, to keep us from death, to keep us from injury. 
And there is a battle from the very beginning till now. There's been a constant battle of the mind, of the thoughts. The common tactics of the enemy is to create in our minds, amen, to create thought patterns that discourage us, create thought patterns and cause doubt to enter our mind. His game has not changed. He played that game in the Garden of Eden. He's still playing the same game. Why? Because it's worked. It's worked. Discouragement, disappointment, doubt, and if he can breed fear in your heart and your mind, he'll give way to torment, the Bible says. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 18, it says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. That's why he wants to plague God's people or people in general with fear, because he understands fear does hath torment. It hath there's nothing worse in my opinion than being tormented by fear than by a fear of something because you know what that does it will, it will literally immobilize you and it will affect other areas of your life fear can because of the torments that it brings and that's why Paul is telling us some of the things that we should think about in Philippians 4 8 he says finally brethren whatsoever things are true whatsoever things are honest Whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. He says, I want to fill your mind with the right things because fear, fear has its torments. The story was told of a chess champion who was on vacation in Europe, and one day while visiting an art gallery there, he came to a particular painting that mesmerized him. The painting was of a chess game was deeply interested in this chess champion. But this painting depicted a chess game like no other this man had ever seen. On one side of the chessboard was the devil laughing, full of gaiety and even giddiness. He had his hand on the board getting ready to make a move. On the other side of the chessboard was a young man who was shaking and trembling all over. His knees were knocking. Sweat was coming down his forehead. Tears were coming from his eyes. He was biting at his fingernails. The chess champion came to understand the meaning of the portrait when he saw the title checkmate the devil was about to make the final move to win this young man's soul the devil was laughing while the young man was terrified because he knew he couldn't do anything about it the chess champion was so taken by this portrait that he studied it for several hours then he broke out into a smile and went to look for proprietor of the art gallery sir would you happen to have a chess board the staff scurried around and found an old chessboard. The champion put the chessboard at the base of the painting and set, up, set it up to duplicate exactly the arrangement of the chess pieces on the board and the portrait. And after he had done this, the man looked at the portrait, then looked down at the chessboard. He did this several times, looking back and forth between the painting and the board. Then he turned the chessboard to the young man's side of the painting and said, Young man, I wish you could hear me right now because if you could... You could stop trembling and wipe the tears from your eyes. I have good news for you. I'm a chess champion, and I know this game backward and forward. You're trembling for no reason at all. It only looks like the devil has the final move. He's tricked you, but there is still one more move left on the board, and your life can be transformed. The devil doesn't get to make the last move. The devil would like to strike fear into our hearts, fear into our minds, 
make us think that he has had the last move on us. But I'm here to tell us collectively tonight that you need not to fear and let fear torment you because you need to tell the enemy, I've got one more move, enemy. I've got one more move. I've got one more move. You thought you had me, but I've got one more. It's not over yet. It's not over yet. It's not over yet. I got another move. Amen. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Interesting to note, as we go through Ephesians, yes, most of the armor of God, we are talking about defense. Amen. We're talking about defense articles. But the sword of the Spirit is the only article of offense. can be used offensively or defensively. The Word of God is such a great tool in the testing of Jesus in His wilderness experience as the Lord would retort each time for it is written. And although Paul likens here the sword to us, the sword to the Word of God later on in Scripture, they declare in Hebrews that it is sharper, God's Word is, than a two-edged sword. And so since it is the only article of offense, then the Word of God must be handled very wisely must be handled very wisely since it is the only article of offense. And so it seems a tire's done with, it's over. We're suited up now. All the articles of armor have stopped. However, I believe Paul goes on to tell us perhaps not necessarily another piece of the armor but tells us how these things best operate. How this Helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, loins girt with truth, feet shot of the preparation of the gospel of peace, sword of the spirit, shield of faith. How all these things best operate is by praying always. With all prayer. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, spirit function best accompanied with prayer. Praying with all prayer. There are different types of prayers even written throughout the scripture. I must got a short up here. Might be right between here. <laughs> Praying with all prayer. There's different kinds of prayer. There's prayer. Then there's things of prayer that we call supplication. Mm-hmm. Supplications are requests. You've ever requested anything in prayer? Supplication. There's intercessory prayer. That's whenever you're praying for somebody else. Uh-huh. There's prayers of thanksgiving that's praising in your prayer and all these he says praying with with always with all prayer I think we need a good mixture of the spectrum here prayers and supplication and thanksgiving and intercession doesn't always just need to be supplication request request because I know we have our laundry lists you know God here's my request but we need the thanksgiving and we need, we need the intercession because there's power in those. Remember the power of thanksgiving or the power of praise that was so vital in the warfare for Jehoshaphat who had an enemy coming against him in Second Chronicles chapter 20. He followed a very simple four-step plan for victory. Pray, fast, worship, praise. They won. Just a four, I know it sounds simple, don't it? But a four-step plan that he had. Whenever he knew they were coming, he prayed, he fasted, he worshiped, 
And as an example of his worship, as an example of his praise for the nation, the nation followed suit. He set up singers. He set up praisers to go into the battlefield. And as they did their worship, the Bible says the Lord set ambushments. The Lord did. The Lord set. What happened? He's doing something in the natural that connects in the realm of the spirit. He's doing something in the natural, Bishop, that connected in the realm of the spirit. And in the realm of the spirit, God says, we're going to set up some ambushments up here and that's going to filter down to the natural. You know what happened? That the Moabites and the Ammonites and these people that were coming against them, they ended fighting against themselves. And they killed and destroyed. They killed and destroyed one another. And there was such a slaughtering that once Jehoshaphat and his people got there, and what they had done is prayed and fasted, worshipped and praised. Such an onslaught. The Bible says they were three days gathering spoils. You very seldom see a three-day gathering of spoils throughout Scripture. There's a lot of times people go fight, for, you know, virtually hand-in-hand combat between the opposing forces. They might have a day spoils, but whenever you go into the realm of the Spirit and you fight the battle as it should be in the spiritual realm, honey, you come forth with three-day spoils. And they prayed. It's not who had the biggest sword. It's not who had the biggest army. It's who had connected to the spiritual aspects of warfare. Let's go to prayer. Let's go to fasting. Let's go to some worship. Let's go to praise. We need so with all prayer. In this armor, yeah, with all prayer. I'd love to suit up in the armor and go to prayer and then go to the crest of the hill and say, wow, business been taken care of man I didn't even get any dirt on the breastplate today intercession important for McGee what's the big deal with intercession it didn't change things yeah, it might change things for them no it can change things for you my platform for that is Job 42.10 the Bible says and the Lord turned the captivity of Job when when did it happen when he prayed for himself no when he prayed for his friends also the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before the Lord turned the captivity of Job he suited up in his armor man he's got his helmet on his sword and he's got his breastplate and everything but with all prayer he's not making supplication today he's not even doing thanksgiving he's going to intercede he's interceding for the supposed friends and he prays for them and the captivity of Job that lasted in the scripture virtually from chapter 1 all the way around chapter 42 is now turned because a man with prayer intercedes for somebody else and he says and while you're praying for them he says in the spirit he says I'm going to do something for you it's not like the guy lacked anything to pray about oh these boils on my body Oh, the grief of my kids, my my finances. My wife, she's just not, we're not on the same page right now. She seems to be rejecting what God's wanting. These people come to comfort me. They're comfortless. It's not like he lacked things to pray about. 
But he said, I'm changing, changing that prayer today. I'm not praying about myself. I'm not praying. I'm going to intercede for somebody else. And by virtue of that, there was a war that went on in the realm of the spirit. And it opened up a turning of the captivity for Job when he interceded in prayer. If you'll stand with me this evening, Paul finishes out the chapter, just summing up his letter, talking again about the man who was delivering it, Tychius, who had delivered his letter. How he, anything else that would need to be made known, Tychius would make it known unto the people. Anything that was beyond the letter that he had written, Tychius would make it known and convey it unto them. We've seen throughout this series a big, big concentration on the church. Big concentration on the church. A big concentration about where the church was, who they were, who they are now. A big concentration on now that you are who you are, this is how you walk, do it, walk. And so he sums it all up then now talking about this is how we then as a church, those that are in Christ, remember, the in Christ or the church, how the church ought to fight. Or maybe better said, ought to defend. We have much to defend. Abraham walked the length, the breadth of the land. You start looking at a map and look everywhere that they got. He had a long ways to walk. But he said, Wherever your, whatever your feet touch. He says, I'll give it to you. He had to do a lot of walking, Bishop. He had to do a lot of walking. Amen. To have possession of what they had possession let me tell you something. Us of our generation, we're still doing some walking. And we have a lot of possession. We have a lot to defend. We have a lot to defend. Amen. Can we bow our heads in this place this evening? Hallelujah. If we could just pray. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's F-A-C-M-C. Thank you and have a blessed day.